You want to see me checking fantasy football? <laughs> kidding. Totally kidding. But one thing I would love to do is since there's not a lot of us tonight and there's so many open seats up front, if we could not sit in the back two rows, it would make me feel less lonely. So that's right. If you're if you're sitting in in the back two rows or if if you're even alone in a row, find a friend. I need a friend. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thanks, guys. I feel so much more connected to you now in decent proximity. <laughs> so, we're on week like 23, 24 uh, being in Genesis. Are you guys tired of it yet? No. This is fantastic, right? Genesis has been fantastic. Are you going to be this quiet all night? This is going to be really boring tonight. This is going to be. <laughs> That's enough interaction. I have to stand up and walk. It's horrible. So this is the last week of summer, so I fully anticipate everyone to be out and about and probably having a good time tonight, and that's okay, because you're here. What we're going to do is we're going to crack the word and get high on some Jesus tonight. It's going to be good stuff. We are in Genesis 22. We're going to finish out the end of chapter 22 and finish all of 23. It's not going to be that long tonight, and I'm going to ask right now that you that are here remember that I am saying it's not going to be that long. And remember when, in fact, it is not that long, because tomorrow I'm going to take whatever time that I don't use, that I would usually use tonight, and add it to next week. Okay? So just remember tonight, and think of it often this week, and then know that Sunday night next week is not going to be quite as short. It's going to be much more, well, it's going to be more, and that's the, that's the kicker. But it's going to be good. So <clears throat> what, you've, uh, what you've missed, if this is your first week with us, or, or you're still kind of catching up, Yes, we started in Genesis with nothing. We got everything. We walked through creation where it was only God before and eternity passed who created it. And then everything. And it was good and good and right and perfect. And it was it was it was filled with his glory. And then we totally messed that up. And Adam and Eve came along and they were doing okay, but then Eve and Adam sinned and then it went downhill from there. And then we had, you know, thousands of years of men that were leading poorly and families are leading poorly, and the whole world that was bent on themselves and not about God, and then, you know, the flood came, and so Noah, we started to kind of, kind of restarted, refreshed, restarted there, it was a very sad time, Noah came out of the ark with just his family and the animals, and there was nobody else allowed in the world, that's a sad day. We started from there, and it didn't really get much better, because then we got the Tower of Babel, and we walked through how those people were seeking to have their own honor and glory go throughout the world instead of God's, and we walked from there uh, through... Um, I'm just going to jump to Abraham because where we are now, and we're going to spend a lot of time with Abraham. From Abraham, we're going to pass on to his son, and then we're going to his, his son, and we're going to see this idea of covenant. So we started in creation. We're in this idea of covenant right now. A guy called Abraham out of Babylon, where this Tower of Babel was, um, and he called him out of there to a promised land. He gave him, you can see now, line. So he has a son. He's promised to give him a long line. He's got a big lineage. He's given him the promised land. Abraham is going to be the man of which he sets up his covenant. And from him will come the Jewish nation. He is our father as well in, in Christianity. We point back to him. Abraham is a big-time deal for the, the, the children of Islam as well. Um, they hang their hat back to Abraham. This is a big, important focal point dude. All right? We're winding down with Abraham, though. Okay, he's got his son Isaac. Last week he almost sacrificed him, but that really wasn't the plan. And we saw that. We're gonna kind of talk about that at the end this week. That was a big week, um, very impactful. And we're gonna see tonight that Sarah dies. So we're winding down the life. Abraham and Sarah have been married for a long time. Tonight Sarah's gonna die, and it's sad, but it's not all sad. So we'll, we'll get there. 
So if you're, if, that should have given you plenty of time to get to Genesis 22 by now. I'm going to start in verse 20. We're going to close out Genesis 22 for one reason. Before we get there, I want to recap last week. All right. You're like, wait, it's not going well. It looks like you're going to take even longer. We're back on last week's teaching. Don't worry. It'll go quick. So last week, the first point that I want to talk about is that we, we talked about Isaac being sacrificed. And one of the things I wanted to make sure I drove home that it, I was hoping it would come out in community groups. I don't know if it did as well. Is I want you to hear something. Um, suffering is a big point in the scripture. It's a big source of debate in our in our world. Uh, theologians have, have spoken through suffering and apologetics for a long time. And suffering is so important because we all do it. I don't know if you realize that. Hard things happen in this world. It's broken and it's, it's mixed up and hard things happen. So suffering is one of the things I wanted to walk through with you very clearly here. In this story, there's a lot of there's a lot of hardship and suffering for Abraham and Isaac as well as they walk through this story when uh, Abraham was going to sacrifice his son because God told him to. There's a lot of faith as well. But in the moment of sacrifice, we talked about it, we set it up, we saw that Moses is this great storyteller painting a picture, and we really walked through that story. We got a real feel for how hard it was for a father to sacrifice his only son because he knows God is good and him to, and how that seems really distorted. But we talked about how that was awesomely a picture of Jesus in the, in the New Testament, how he comes to save us, and how that was all connected. Um, we talked about the fact that this, this point of suffering was really for Isaac's benefit. Right? And see, Abraham's going through the suffering, and this is really Abraham's command and his obedience that this is dependent upon. This whole test that the scripture talks about is, is on Abraham, but it was for the benefit of Isaac. So Abraham's suffering was for someone else. And so a couple of things I want to talk to, that, talk to you about. That One is when you suffer, sometimes it may not be for you, but it may be for someone else. I don't know if you've ever pondered that. But there are times that I can look back in my life where I've seen other people suffer. And it's been hard for them. And I've watched their faith be, be firm in that. I've watched their love for God grow in that. I've watched their obedience and service to him change and adapt in a more meaningful way because of the suffering that they went through. Their suffering helped me. Now, I'm sure it helped them too, but it really helped me. I got to see them suffer. And in that, God built suffering up in my own heart. And it built, it built my faith. And I became more encouraged, more firm, more understanding of who God was and wanting to follow him. And so sometimes we suffer for others to see it. And sometimes when we suffer, all right, when God brings hardships in our lives, and they're going to come, and, and one, this world is broken, and two, God knows exactly what we need to make our faith grow, right? Sometimes when we suffer, it's so that our faith can grow, right? And that's when you, you may have had someone, you may have had a hardship in your past where someone's poured into your life, right? Someone on the outside has loved you well through a hard time, right? God has, has met you in low places when it's been hard. Right? And so at those points, suffering really builds us up, right? and oftentimes it's through God, through others, and his word that outside sources build us up. And I really wanted to hit suffering well so that you could know it, because the Bible and the New Testament is particularly clear that those that are called to follow Jesus Christ should suffer well, and that is because we follow Jesus Christ, who suffered more than we ever will, and he suffered well, Right? And so that's why I want you to understand that suffering thing. I kind of wanted to close that out. I wanted to make sure we really nailed that down from last week because I don't know if I nailed it down hard enough. It's an important point. Suffering well is a big deal. And it's really for either our faith or other people's faith, and oftentimes it's really for both. Right? Um, so it's good. Good stuff. And now we're going to move on from last week and move on to this week where Sarah dies. It's just a sad title. I don't like saying Sarah dies over and over again, but Sarah dies this week. So it's the big, it's the big 
main point of this week. Sarah dies. It's the big point of the story. Let's start in verse 20. This is how uh, chapter 22 closes, and I think it's an important note to see how this closes. All right, This was the chapter where God came and told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, but we saw that, that God had always intended to step in. Right? He knew Abraham's faith was strong enough, but he wanted Isaac to see his father's faith in God. He wanted to see a holy God that loved him and was good, so that Isaac could now have his own faith, real, active faith, to carry on this covenant. Right, and we this, this is how the story closes. I think it's really pivotal and important for you to understand because next week we have a wedding. This week Sarah dies. Really sad. Next week we have like marriage. Isaac and Rebecca, big fun time, and it starts right here in verse twenty. It says, "Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, behold, Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor. Uz, now these are lots of names and biblical names, and it's really like fashionly, fashion and trendy and hipster to like name your." Kid weird things, but I would encourage any of you to pick many of these names that we're about to read because they're really, really ugly names. They sound ugly, they look ugly. Uz, that's just a bad name. Buzz, his brother, because that's original because he had Uz and Buzz, and just, like, just made sense at the time. Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jilith, and Bethuel. Now, this is the important part. This is the whole reason we're reading these verses. I, I promise you, this is the only reason we're reading these verses in my mind. Bethuel fathered Rebekah, and that's the important pivotal piece there. In fact, in my Bible, in ESV, they actually put it in parentheses because it's like a little side note because it's so important for you to know, right? We've got mostly guys here and this big note here, Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Moses is letting him know that this is important. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abram's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reuma, bore Teba, Ema, Tehash, and Machana. That's what I'm just saying. Bad names, don't do it. Don't pick those. They're not that great. <clears throat> Rebecca's cool, and I even like the K spelling. It's kind of fun. That's one you could use. Um, <laughs> this is cool because last week we connected the story of Isaac and his and, and then the substitutionary atonement that, that came about because the ram was found and Isaac was spared. Okay, and sacrifice. And we compared that right back to Jesus on the cross. And now he is our substitutionary atonement. I want to connect these points to you. Jesus died on the cross for a bride. Isn't that cool? He died on the cross for a bride. Like, that's not cool. That's weird. Right, but he died on the cross for a bride. He actually died to call out people to be his children, right? And then he, he calls those in the New Testament his church, right? The church. Jesus is called the bridegroom. The church is his bride. Literally, he loves. That's that picture. Marriage is that picture of, of selfless love, sacrificing commitment, okay, of Jesus in the church. And that's what marriage is really intended to, to display, is how God loves his people. And this chapter, okay, where we had this interesting comparison with Isaac and Jesus in this situation, ends pointing to Rebecca, which is the wedding for Isaac. Isn't that a cool connection? See, this points towards Rebecca. That those last verses, they're all well and good, but they're really for Rebecca. That's why the parentheses are in there. That's why it's focusing on men and it sticks in Rebecca. Because it's focusing on the wedding to come, and it really connects just Isaac and Jesus in this other really cool and interesting way, right? And Rebecca's a big time deal. And next week, see, this week is really good for it's it's good for two reasons. This week is a lot about marriage. Okay, I've just seen Abraham and Sarah been married, so you're like, and not all of you are married. In fact, most of the people in this room are not married. <clears throat> but next week is like Isaac and Rebecca. Well, they both start out very single, right? So we have to walk through that whole like 
dating thing and stuff. So that's going to be a totally different week. But this week really sets it up. Last week we set up some spiritual guidelines. We really established the spiritual basis for what we do, Jesus and salvation, the fact that he came, lived, died, rose again for us because we could not do what we needed to do to pay the penalty for all the crap we did, right? And we really set that up as the bedrock foundation for the next two weeks. Very practical, I told you. Sarah dies. There's going to be some practical applications. Next week, Isaac and, Isaac and Rebecca get married. Very practical applications. Right. This week, though, you have to know, this is all going to be about looking towards the end. All right. So let's start 23. We're just going to read two verses. 23, 1 and 2 says this. Sarah lived 127 years, which is a long time. Right. So she lived, So when did she have a baby, by the way? We'll backtrack for those of you that have been paying attention for the past two months. How old was she? Just give or take. 90, 90s. She was old, right? So she lives about 30, 40 years after she has a baby, right? Which, you know, maybe that's still, that's old. That's a long time, right? <clears throat> These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of, why don't they just say Hebron? It's so much easier. In the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And our first point is to understand this. Abraham loved Sarah a lot. Abraham really loved Sarah. There's not a lot of talk about Abraham, and there's there's no expression of concubines, which is basically that nice word for, like, not even hooker. It's just a slave that you have sex with. It's really not It's not the best term. It's not a really nice way to say it. So there's, there's no talk about that Abraham. Abraham loved Sarah. And it's a beautiful understanding that he is mourning his wife. Right? And this picture of morning which is always Abraham going in to where his wife is is dead. So it's just her body, but he's spending time weeping, remembering. Right? So there's sorrow and there's joy. He's remembering the good times with his wife. And he is in there mourning the loss of his wife. Probably in a really fancy tent because he had some money, right? But he's in there he's in there spending time remembering the times that he had with his wife Sarah. And the big takeaway, and I love the way uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll says this, we put a lot of effort into the first day of a marriage. Did you realize that? Ladies, have you spent any time thinking about your wedding day? All right, unmarried ladies in the room, how many of you have thought about your wedding day? Who's lying right now? Can you legitimately tell me you've never thought? I mean, that's okay. It's all right. It's fine. I'm not going to pull you out. It's okay. I'm not going to mention names. It's all right. You don't have to. It's okay. It's good. It's probably really good. Because we spent a lot of effort thinking about our first day of marriage. The first day. What's it going to be like? And it, I'm going to tell you what. You're going to spend crap loads of money. It's going to not eat for three months leading up to it. And in the end, by the end of the day, you're going to be married. You're not going to remember what the heck happened on that day. You're just not. Right? But you're going to be married. And all that effort and all that money, right? And then the second day, you wish you hadn't done any of it and you had all the money back, right? And that you, you know, had eaten the past three months because you're really hungry, but you don't have any money to buy any food because you spent it all the way, right? And that's kind of how we look at marriage. We set up all this effort and energy into the first day. And what Abraham is really showing us here is it's not the first day that matters. It's the last day. It's the last day that matters. It's the day... That the marriage has run its course. That's what matters. We spend so much effort, and you can see this in statistics, which I don't even need to get to because they're just depressing. 
We spend a lot of effort in the first day of marriage, and we never aim to go to the last day of marriage. We aim, uh, you know, two, three years, right? That's the end of most marriages. That's just, that's just sad. We never aimed at the last day. We never aimed for the end. We put a lot of effort into the first day, and we made it a little while, and then we just decided we're good. And this is an interesting idea, and we'll talk about it more next week, about how we picture love, what we think love is, how we make determinations based upon foolishness that we think about love. And Abraham wants us to know, as he spends time mourning Sarah, who he gave his life with and for, for decades and decades and decades, that it was the last day that matters most. And you, you don't need to put a lot of energy into the first day, you need to plan well for the last day. And that's what I want you to get. Because in this room, we're very young. We're just very young. We're not very old. We have a lot of days left. We have a lot of days left. Okay? And if we're not planning well for the last day, when it comes, it's just going to be depressing and sad. What do we do? What a waste. What a pointless mess we've made. And the wake of our lives will be turmoil for other people. And Sarah dies, Abraham mourns, but it's a good, happy, long time that he spent devoted to one woman. And what I want all of you to realize, and we'll talk about this more at the end, is that when you get married, you aim for the last day. You don't aim for the first. And next week we'll talk about how if you're going to aim for the last day, it's going to really involve about what you're doing to even think about entertaining marriage at this point. But it's the last day that matters. right? The day that... Me and Becca got married was an awesome day. But the day when I hope Becca passes away first, because I I don't want her well, I, what I don't know, I don't I don't know. I know God's being able to take care for her, but I want to be able to care for her, right? I want to be able to care for her until she's not here anymore. And if I'm not here, I mean I know God God will take care of her. I know she's got great friends here, I know this community is well around her. I know, I know she'll be cared for. But I want to do that. I want to be there for her. And I want that day to be an awesome, amazing day. I know she would say the same for me. I don't know if she wants me to die first. I don't know about that. But I mean, <laughs> like, I don't mean like when we're like 90 years old. Although I'm, I'm, I'm probably not be walking after 40, so I don't know. I'm a little rascal. Anyway, the last day matters. So we, we open the story here with, with Sarah's death. Not a lot of build up into why or how, but but definitely that Abraham is hardcore mourning his wife. All right. And the next thing, we're gonna read a whole big chunk, I'm gonna explain it as we go, because it's kind of just this big long thing about funeral preparations, and I want you to know there's a few things we can pull out there, but it's mostly this interesting chapter about that tells us something about Abraham and what's what he feels about Sarah. In some interesting ways. So we're just gonna read this whole big section of three through eighteen and kind of walk through it and I'll pull I'll, I'll pause at times, so just get ready to pause. Because I'm like a golden retriever, I get easily distracted. So here we go. Verse 3 says this, And Abraham rose up from before his dead and, and said to the Hittites, okay, this is where he was in the tent, he was with his wife, literally mourning her, right? That's what it means when he rose up before his dead. His, his bride was in front of him, had passed away, he was mourning her, remembering her, loving, remembering the times he had with Sarah. He stands up and is going to speak to these people, the Hittites. And he says, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you, so give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Here is my Lord, 
You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying the dead. All right. Abraham has made a name for himself a bit in this territory, right? We've seen it. He's interacting with King Abimelech. He's, he's got some, some clout, some weight. So he comes to these Hittites because he wants to have a burying place for his wife. He wants to lay her to rest, right? And, and it sounds like there's some sort of really nice transaction going on. Like they're just happy. They're like, yeah, take whatever you want. I don't you know, they're setting up a business transaction right now. So this is going to be a, a, a money, this is going to be like a cash for goods, right? What they're basically saying is, you can have any of our tombs you'd like, but they know they're going to make him pay. So I want you to I want you to get to thinking like oh they must love this man they're just gonna give him whatever grave he wants they're gonna make him pay all right but Abraham is entering this knowing he's going to pay he's he's ready to bury his wife and he's going to do it well right because again it's the last day that matters and he's had a wonderful time with Sarah and he's put a lot into this marriage and he knows that the legacy that he has with this woman is tremendous so let's keep going. <clears throat> Verse seven Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites. The people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dad out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. So he's got his eye on this really nice cave in this awesome field. Okay, and we'll see later. It's kind of near that, it's kind of near that area, area called. Mamre, Mamre, where that big oak tree thing is. It's kind of near that. All right. So it's going to be good length. Verse 10. Now Ephraim was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of the city. All right. So this is basically setting up. They're in this prominent place. He's asking in this place of business, the gates of the city being that place where all of the important people were. And that's exactly where this Ephron guy is. He's an important person in the Hittite community. And there he is in, in the uh, gates of the city. Now, my lord, verse 11, hear me. I give you the field. Now, he's not giving it to him. Don't get too excited. And I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, all right, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it for me, and I may bury my dead there. So we'll stop here for a second. He wanted the cave. This Ephron guy obviously has ulterior motives. He wants the cave in the field, right? He knows the, at the end of the field there's a cave. It's out of your way. That's where I want to bury. Right? That's where I want my tombs. He's not just setting up a tomb for one person, by the way. He's thinking long term. He wants this to be a place where he can rest. They to rest his family. He wants to be next to Sarah. He wants his children, his families to be able to be buried with him. Right? It's not a morbid Egyptian thing, like where they like go to, go to slaughter a thousand people to put in a tomb with a king. This is. I want to be near my family when I lay to rest. I want I want my family to be able to come and and mourn and remember me, mourn and remember me in this place. And I want their children's children to be able to mourn them in this place. I want it to be a common place for Saul to come. And you see this very commonly in in our days. Uh, at, at a at a grave, you often will buy. A, a, usually, when there's you know, close to the end of their life, a person may buy several plots to have their whole family buried in a section of the graveyard so that everybody can be close together. It can be one central place. Oftentimes, husband and wife almost always generally have their, their burying places next to each other. Um, and it's a place where they can become, they can come and be remembered. Um, it's not some sort of thing that Abraham's looking like they're going to lay next to each other for eternity because he knows that, you know, he's going to be with God and Abraham fully believes that. But it's this idea that the remembrance can happen there. But he only wants the cave. 
He knows it's plenty of space. He knows it's in a really awesome area. So when people come to come to spend time remembering, you know, him when his son, when his grandsons come to remember, when they share stories around it, it's gonna be a nice time. It's got this nice field, right? There's some trees, probably a little brook. I don't know. Picture it in your mind. It's a nice place. Picturesque. They're gonna go there and paint paintings. It's nice. This guy Ephron's like, right? He wants that cave. He's got a dead body. I'm gonna make some money. So he's like, yes, Abraham, you can have the cave and the field to go with it. Because you want the field, it goes with the cave. It looks nice, the cave looks great because the field looks good. So why don't I sell you my field and my cave? You can have them both. It's a full package deal. Now Abraham is not a cheap man, right? He's worked hard, he's, he's coming towards the end of his life, he's got money, he's, God has blessed him, he has given him more than he could possibly have ever obtained on his own. And and he's not going to skimp, right? So guys, work hard and don't be cheap. It's important. Abraham's not going to be cheap with his wife. He knows where he wants to bury her. You know who, he knows who owns it, and that's what he's going to do. And there's never a faltering here in Abraham. Abraham's never like, oh, this is going to be a pain. He wants me to take the field. I don't want the field. I want the cave. <sighs> Get my lawyer. No, Abraham's not going to do that. He's ready. This is where he's going to bury his wife. Verse 14, Ephraim answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Now, if you want to get into the actual economics of this, 400 shekels of silver is a lot of money. A lot of money. Right? I mean, you could portray Jesus like 20 times for that. Right? I'm just referring to Jesus. It's okay. But understand that for this piece of land and this tomb, that's a lot of money. Something like, uh, I have to go back and look. I think it's something like 40 shekels of silver paid for the place by King David where they built the temple. Now, the temple is incredibly large that Solomon built. Right? David didn't build it, but he brought the land. Huge piece of land that this temple went on. Paid like 40 shekels or so. I don't know if King David got a King David discount. Like it was like, oh, it's kid the king. But I know that in comparison, this is not as much land for 10 times that amount. That's a lot of money. This is a lot of money. Ephraim is definitely taking advantage of Abraham. Abraham doesn't care. His wife is going to be buried here. His family is going to be buried here. And the money is not that big of a deal. There's not a lot of bartering here, right? Let's keep going. Abraham says in verse 16, he listened to Ephraim. Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephraim in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, there you go, told you it was there. The field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field, I told you it's a nice field, throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. That All that to say, Abraham cared so much for his wife that he wasn't going to squabble over paying a ridiculous sum of money for a grave. And that's because, again, when he's mourning his wife, he's remembering the joyous times. And when he's thinking about his wife, he's thinking about his child. When he's thinking about his child, he's looking forward to grandkids. And he's got all of this properly in perspective, right? Because the last day was key for Abraham and Sarah. He's got it all in proper perspective. And so this place that he buys, this field in this cave is going to be a place set up 
for the next hundreds of years for people to come and remember where they came from, who went before them. And it's a way for him to, to, to look at the life he lived with Sarah and know that when it comes to its end, it ended well. It ended really well. And that's because Abraham and Sarah lived a life focused on the last day, working towards the last day, moving towards that day. They kept proper perspective with God. They kept their relationship proper perspective. Now, we've also read a lot of times where they're really screwed up, right? So let me also make sure there's good, clear hope for you. This is not perfection ended up in Sarah and Abraham. <laughs> but this is a life pursuing God and his holiness and goodness, right? So they were perfect. We see them. They screwed up all the time. But they loved God. They loved each other. They worked hard. And that last day was way better than the first and way more important. So, and, and I, I told you we'd be be quick tonight. This is our last point, the last couple of verses of the chapter. It says, and flip flips it, the most important day. And you have to remember, and flip flips it, that's fun. <laughs> you have to remember, the most important day is the last. It's not the first, it's the last. Let's close up the chapter. After this, verse 19, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave in the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So, he buries Sarah in the cave that he intended to bury her in after a long time being married together, living together, loving together, serving God together, sacrificing, worshiping, right? Establishing a family, right? Isaac is now about 40 years old. His son, the son of promise, and Sarah is laid to rest. The most important day is the last one. So the question that you have to really ponder is what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? We've talked about lineage. Here we've talked about legacy. I like L words that, that really go together. It just seems to happen. Lineage and legacy go right together, right? So you're going to get married and have kids, most of you, statistically speaking. Right? Even though right now you're like, I don't have any prospects, this is not going to go well. Statistically speaking, you're going to marry somebody, you're going to, you're going to, get, you're going to have kids. This is statistically how it, it goes out. Now, statistically, it's taking a lot longer for that to happen. That's just cultural. Is it good or bad? I'm not saying anything. It's just cultural. So we're taking a little longer, but statistically, you're still going to get married and you're going to have kids. What's your lineage and legacy going to be like? Interestingly enough, statistically, people are, are choosing more often than not to not have kids at a greater rate than they've ever thought about it before. Because they're expensive, right? They're messy. And then you have to do things based upon their needs. People, I don't know if you've noticed this, perhaps you have in yourself or around you, people are very much focused on what they want to do, right? So two people get married because they want to, right? And then they don't have kids because they want to do what they want to do. And then five years later, they get divorced because they want to marry somebody else. That's pretty much how our culture works. So the question is, are you going to aim at the last day now? Because you have to make, again, you always talk about this idea of planning. If you're going to do that, you have to plan now to aim at that last day. Right? Because if you don't plan now, it's going to come up on you, and you'll be like, well, I'm out. I can't handle this. I'm not going that far. 30 years of marriage? 50 years of marriage? 60 years of marriage? It's way too much time. Nope. Nope. And a lot of you guys, I'm not guys and girls, I said guys, I meant the universal understanding. Guys and girls in this room, like you're like, oh no, I'm going to date somebody hot, somebody attractive. In 20 years, it's not going to matter. 
right? I'm declining rapidly. Poor Becca, just pray for her, right? It's not going to matter. <laughs> it's just not going to matter. When we've been married for 40 years, it's like, oh, look, there's two old people, right? What matters is <laughs> how, who do they love? Who do they serve? How do they honor God? And how do they love you? And if you're going to pick somebody based on how they look, i got to tell you right now, you could be just marrying a horrible, horrible choice, guys and girls included. And we'll talk about this next week. But if you're going to aim at the last day, you're going to aim at lineage, if you're going to aim at legacy, you're going to need to change your thinking. Right? Sarah was pretty. I'm not going to lie to you. Sarah must have been pretty. I don't know. But she was like older and they were still fighting over her. I don't know. It's just weird. Right? But Sarah, I also know, had some problems. Because you see this played out in some of the choices she made initially as, as she was you know, still following Abraham but walk, and walking with God. She made some choices that really reflected that she was all about her. And today, the Muslims and the Jews still war over land and rights and who Abraham was actually the father of because Sarah made one poor choice, right? She changes, right? Over a lifetime, her and Abraham change. Now, I'm not saying that if Sarah was annoying or made bad choices because she was hot. I'm just saying that I don't know if Abraham aimed initially before he knew God at Sarah because she was going to be a wonderful wife that was going to love and serve God. Probably didn't. Probably didn't because he really wasn't you know, aiming to love and serve God at that time either. But what you know is that as God grabbed Abraham and Sarah and got a hold of their lives and changed who they were, you see this last day being way better than so many of the days before. You would mourn and love over Sarah because this last day is important. And if you're going to aim at that, you have to change your thinking now. right? And it comes down to what you do with Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he was, right? if he did what he says he did, what the Bible tells us he did, right? If if he was God become man, lived on the world that's broken to show us that God loves us, died on the cross, didn't stay dead because he didn't deserve to die in the first place, rose from death, conquered sin and death, and he's salvation for anyone that's willing to understand and accept that. If that's true, and you make decisions based upon that, and you pick somebody that doesn't, your last day is going to be really hard. You're setting your last day up poorly, right? If you kind of make decisions on that, and somebody that really does make decisions based upon who Jesus was, and then they, they choose you, they're going to be frustrated, right? So... That last day, right now, for most of us, has to really understand what we're doing with Jesus and then what is the person that we're even thinking about moving towards doing with Jesus, right? And you have to make it in your heart now because if you're going to serve Jesus, I want you to really understand the contentment in Jesus. Contentment in who is it? Wow. Do I love Jesus? See, Abraham and Sarah really started to get it. They did. God kept grabbing hold of them, and, and this last day is beautiful because they understood. And Abraham knew where he was going, and Sarah knew where he was going. They understood what Isaac meant. And so for us, we really have to grab a hold of what we're doing with Jesus. If he's God, if he's our Savior, what are we doing with him? Are we loving and serving him? Or are we so focused on so much other stupid crap that we just get distracted? 
Or we just get distracted. We don't even know where our last day's going. Think about marriage. So you have to line it up. You have to get it all in order. Last week came before this week for a reason, because the last day is important. The last day is important because there's a holy and loving God that reaches down, not just impersonally, but personally, to say that I love you. I love you so much that I'm here, I live, I suffered. I didn't have to. I didn't deserve to. That's what I did. Abraham knew that. Sarah knew that. They ended this last day well. I want your last day of your marriages to be very, very awesome. And I, I hope that I'm there for none of them because I'm older than you. But if I'm there for some of them, I want them to be ending really, really awesome. Right? I want my last day of my marriage to be really awesome. And I would like love. I would love for all of you to be there to understand the last day of my marriage is better than this one. Right? I want my kids to look at me and my wife and watch us end our lives and our marriage to end in a picture that so clearly points back to the gospel. And if you want that, start making decisions that reflect that. Now, like today, like tomorrow, like purpose in your mind, in your heart. So let's walk into the respond time. Let's respond. Nathan's going to come. He's going to play. We're not going to have a real long respond time. I just want you to take some time. There's going to be things you have to think about now to plan well for the last day.